As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I am here with one of my heroes, Eileen Flanagan, founded Girls on Fire Leaders in 2014. Why this is important to me is because it's in an organization that is dedicated to teaching adolescent girls, the most ignored population on planet Earth at this time, dedicated to teaching adolescent girls to lead innovative change in their own communities. Eileen started this in East Africa, where probably the worst corruption, conflict, rape, disease, abuse are rife. And she is taking the initiative. She is changing lives one girl at a time. She's using the mentorship and collaborative model to elevate and inspire the most vulnerable girls to solve challenges in their own communities. So really, the adolescent girls are actually teaching the younger girls. And this is the magic. This is why I'm here. This is why you're here. This is why we are here. This organization is helping the girls build resilience, empathy, leadership skills, everything that will help them transition into adulthood safely with confidence and with purpose. So Eileen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Such an honor. You uh, came to class first, what, four or five years ago to my yoga class? Yes, that's how we connected. How did you find me? Oh, I've been following you for a decade. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I came to a few classes at Vera Yoga. Right. But you were teaching at ABC. ABC. Mm -hmm. I remember the day. And yeah. And uh, I was in yoga class next to a woman I didn't know. And after class, she said, do you have going on? Oh God. And I, who was it? Um, her name is Leah and, uh, Leah. yeah, she, now she lives in Pennsylvania. Oh, I know exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Dear one. I know. So she asked me what I had going on. She can feel something. And I had just the day before come back from three years working abroad. In the Kenya. day before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she, she asked me what was happening, and uh, and I told her what was going on. I had been working with a young adolescent population in Kibera slums for about nine months at that point, wow. and also working with over 100 different nonprofits, local nonprofits in Kenya, yes. to really know the landscape. Yes. Um, and after three years, nine months in the slum, like, how do you even walk into a yoga class the next day in such a fancy spot? Well, actually, I was using a lot of your yoga glow yoga. So ah. you were with me the whole time. Okay, got it. And 
So she, so after class, she had um, asked me what was happening, and I told her I had a vision of Girls on Fire, but I didn't really know how to make it happen. So mm. I came back to New York to kind of settle in and figure out what's my next step. Um, and all roads were leading to to really starting this first big camp. Um, so tell, she, tell us what the camp means. Tell us about that. So uh, I take girls from Kibera slums and we work all over Kenya with girls their ages and women leaders in the four major tribal areas. Um, so girls in those tribal areas might be going through different challenges. So girls in the slums, their challenges are early pregnancy, mm. a lot of violence, a lot of substance abuse, a lot of sexual abuse. And the girls in some of the tribal regions, their challenges are uh, lack of access to education, lack of community involvement, FGM, which is female genital mutilation, which yeah. is practiced very commonly in these regions, and early child marriage, as early as six, seven, eight years old. Wow. So, so we brought girls from Kibera slums working with these girls, and we started off with the idea that um, leadership is not about a classroom or books, and it's about in action, in community right. with other girls. The first project we ever did, we uh, worked in an orphanage where we built a library, and then the girls did a design thinking project with the girls, and, th and those girls in that village said they needed motivation to actually study, and they wanted to feel loved. So the Girls on Fire, which, you know, the age groups are 6 to 16 years old, um, painted the whole library and put inspirational notes all around saying you are love, education is the key, we're here for you, we're your sisters in this. Wow. Yeah, so that was the first one, and then it just built upon that. We usually do about three projects a year, so we've done countless projects. And the camp aspect, when you take them away, tell us about that. So, for instance, so we'll go to a tribal region like Samburu. So, for instance, I'll just give you an example. We went, we went to Samburu. And in Kenyan culture, when you go into a different region, you have to be greeted by an MP, which is uh, a parliament, a person in parliament. And so it's this big... Tada! that mm. they have new people in their region because a lot of mm -hmm. people don't come into those regions. And the girls on fire were very outraged by girls their age being cut. Oh. And even though Kenyan law says um, it was outlawed in 2010, tribal regions still practice it. So when we met the MP, they he asked if, uh, anyone had any questions and the girls confronted him <laughs> Wow! and said, how often is um, FGM practiced here? Why are girls getting married this young? What are you doing about to uphold the law? And then he, we also, uh, we work a lot with conservation of elephants. And in his office, he had two big tusks. So they questioned him, him about that. So, how did he do with the questions? 
he just laughed and said, oh, these, your girls are so sly. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we have a long way to go. Well, it's, it's not going to be through those channels and pathways. It's really the communities. So, you know, we have to do some of that. We have to be able to work and they have to be able to confront elders that are allowing these atrocities to happen to young girls. It's just um, set but, in their ways. Yeah. It's just what they know. Yeah. But really it's about working with the stakeholders. And I think the stakeholders in catalyzing big social change is women and communities and young girls. Yeah. And um, so they're starting young. They're getting the skill set you need in order to, to be a change maker and they're bringing lots of other girls along with them. I mean, for instance, in Samburu, we went from the MP to the radio station. They wanted us to be on the radio station. So the girls spoke their story for really, I think, the first time. And it inspired other girls. We had a camp of 50 Samburu girls and 50 girls on fire from the slums. And another 50 heard us on the radio and came to the camp. Um, and these girls were about to be cut and married that that next weekend. So they were running away from uh, FGM in early 50. Mm-hmm. So the power of using your voice, they saw in real action. And so these girls consistently, when we go into these regions, um, it's pretty transformative. And we see it in real time. Wow. To date... Uh... I have notes here that you've helped a thousand mm-hmm. girls mm-hmm. so far. Um, talk to me about your role in all of this and how how it all began. Mm. Yeah, so there's a thousand girls in these four different regions. Yeah. And that ripple effect is about 2000 into the community. So we can't just do it with the girls. We have to really activate the community and get them into action around championing the championing and nurturing the progress of early adolescent girls. Like what drew you to to this work? It's so important. Nobody else is doing it. Yeah. So I think, I think the, there's kind of two origin stories because um, seven years ago, I left a corporate career I was at for 20 years. I was working in business and technology in Silicon Valley and then came to New York City. And for many years prior to that, I was really interested in the intersectionality between women and poverty and how collectively are we going to solve for the major problems in the world. Yeah. Um So I read the books, I talked to the people, went to lectures, all those things. And, uh, and I was really drawn to just experiencing it and seeing how my body feels. And so I left to go to India for nine weeks with the intention, the single intention of just being in response to whatever is happening around me. And at that time I had been practicing yoga and meditation. And so there was certain things on my list that I thought I was going to go to an ashram and meet this person and blah, blah, blah. I did none of that. I, 
I got to know what it's like for street kids in India, and it started in Varanasi. And I really sat with the kids and just moved from town to town, and it was all about the girls. And um, I had worked a little bit here in New York around um, sex trafficking, and so I knew a little bit about that. Um, but in India, I was able to go into brothels and negotiate with some of the madams, um, just all on my own. It all just happened. So that trip was over. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was it was transformative, and I could not go back to my job after that. So I, I thought I would do a fellowship with Kiva. And so I went back to India where... Um, I worked with women entrepreneurs in a state called Manipur, and it's um, it's on it's very remote. Uh, it's on the border of Myanmar, mm. and so it's it was a closed um, state up until six months prior of me arriving. And I signed a piece of paper where I was the twenty second foreign national ever in the state, and I looked at the other people before me, and I was the only woman. So it was quite amazing. And my role there um, was threefold. It was one, to, to work with the Microfinance Institute and help them distribute loans and set up systems um, so they can do the work in that region. Mm -hmm. And two, was also to work with the government of India. At that time, uh, India had a rule that if you put money into the country, it would take seven years to get it out, which is not the Kiva model. Um, it's about recycling loans and keeping it in the system. Um, so working with the government officials on that. And so my third role was to actually work with the women. And time after time, I saw that the women, we were, you know, I was, I was teaching them about financial literacy and how you pay back your loan and things like that. And time after time, it was they were wanting me to answer questions around, can you help me unlock my leadership potential, wow. my full human potential? How can you help me were some of the questions. Um, so I really stepped into my personal leadership in that experience. Wow. And then from there, I went to Kenya because Kiva had a product where you basically cut out the, the middleman um, and you really address the bottom billion in poverty. Um, so instead of going through microfinance institutes where you need some sort of collateral to get a loan, um, we started working with the local communities. Um, so the local nonprofits, the community organizers, the influencers. Um, and so my role was to really work with them. And I worked with over 100 people in uh, organizations in Kenya from all different tribes. And so I really got an understanding of how the dots are connected and, and where the missing gaps are. And so what I saw was that the slums are a whole ecosystem and a mindset that unless you have exposure to other people, other ideas, other cultures, you're going to be stuck in that. Um, wow. so, yeah, so that's how I started. I started really just, I had been working with, um, 
the women entrepreneurs that are part of a Shafco program of women with HIV. And um, Shafco stands for? Uh, Shining Hope for Communities, and nice. they are still my partner. So yeah. I started working with them through Kiva and working with the mamas with HIV, their HIV program. Mm. And I really saw a need to, to work with the girls. They have a safe house, so a safe house is a place where the girls that have been sexually abused or severely abused live. Um, so I started showing up there and one day I invited them to my apartment to, um, to do a, a cooking class. Mm -hmm. And so I was cooking a big pot of butterfly pasta and they stand back and they were, got very scared and, uh, they asked me what I was cooking and I said, butterfly pasta. And they were very timid and uh, they immediately said, okay, we're they eating butterflies. butterflies. <laughs> oh God, babies. <laughs> and I, I said to them, come here, come take a closer look. Do these look like butterflies? And they said, somehow you drain the color out of them. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and that really, you know, that really struck me because at the time I was living five minutes from a lake where I would go hiking and it was called Butterfly Lake. And they were living in the slum, which is another five minutes. But people in Kenya never go to this forest. It's called Kuro Forest because it costs equivalent to like one or two cents to get in. Oh. Um, and so, so the access to nature and the access to a forest, which is in their backyard would never be available. So I started calling up all the women that I know that, that are from Cabrera and none of them had been ever. So I called up my taxi driver and I asked him what would it take to bring 50 girls to crew a forest? And he said $50. So the next weekend huddled up 50 girls. We all went to Kuroa Forest. We went also with cameras. I had done uh, a self-expression um, photography workshop in, in India, so I had a bunch of cameras with me. And so we did this, this uh, learning exercise. And that was the, the start of Girls on Fire. Then for nine months, every Saturday, I just started coming back and creating these opportunities, these adventures, these mind expansive experiences. experiences. And then sure enough, when I would show up at the school, the teachers were asking, what was I doing? Because these girls that were so shy and broken down were blossoming yeah. and it was showing up in their leadership in class. It was showing up in their grades and their performance and how they help other girls. Wow. And that has now led to you working in both the Kibera slum and the Mathari, Mathari slum, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Who, aside from Shafko, Shining Hope for Communities, who are your other partners and how does all of that work when you partner with another organization to help you uh, help the girls? How does that work exactly? So when we go to these camps we're usually so we need uh, so we need a set of girls so i usually um 
partner with other schools. So local schools, mm-hmm. um, I do an assessment on the local schools. There needs to be a community involvement. The head teacher and also the other teachers really have to have the will to to change things for girls and equality. Um, yeah, so there's an assessment of the community and the school. So where are their commitments mm-hmm. around service of equality for girls? And the other partners are organizations. So I've partnered with um, the UN. Uh, you're, you're kind of paving the path. I'm basically. paving the path. And it's, it's quite expensive, if you can imagine. So a lot of um, aid, foreign aid, goes into community and gives a curriculum. Mm. So this isn't that. So we work in communities that are very far and build a network of girls all over Kenya. That means that my partners are UN. Um, The girls have done a keynote for um, an organization that funds a lot of different organizations around HIV mm-hmm. and AIDS, knowing that the highest rate of HIV is early adolescent girls yep. at 74%. Um, and leadership programs with adolescent girls have been proven to decrease the number of new cases of HIV. Wow. Yeah. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. The model that you're building, and the reason why I'm finding it so magnificent, is that it's one of collaboration. And I'm reading uh, Twyla Tharp on mm-hmm. collaboration right now. That book is so good. <laughs> and she talks about how collaboration is the way our ancestors always worked in community, in tribes. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that we can really get things done around here, Mm. it seems. Mm. And now more than ever, we're seeing that collaboration is the answer. So I think I just want to tip my hat to the fact that you're having, as I said at the very beginning, you're having the the eldest adolescent girls teach the younger girls what it means to find their way out of the horrific conditions in which they are born. I... I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's really what I want to say. Yeah. I'm looking forward to raising a lot of money for this organization over time. And I'm very proud of the fact that doTERRA Healing Hands Foundation has actually agreed to match match donations up to $15,000 right now. Yeah. And that's going until what date? September 15th. So we have a little bit of time, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to get this out as soon as we can. The movement that we're building, like we've said, adolescent girls teaching other girls, getting those girls between six and 16 out of the situation in the slums, showing them nature, showing them what it means to be supported and held by other girls, showing them what it could mean to live another way, out of harm's way, out of the threat of HIV, out of the threat of FGM. So to that end, I am so looking forward to, and I will be sharing with you the link to donate. One dollar will make a tremendous difference in the lives of these girls. Five dollars 
Even more so, if you have $10, fantastic. And anything more than that is a great gift. Mm. The year-round programming that you're running, working with local partners, you're delivering education, you're in schools, you're requiring, as you said, participation from the teachers, the parents, the entire community, as much as you can. The camps you're doing two to three times a year, the monthly leadership workshops, peer mentorship, school scholarships, innovation workshops. You're also offering workshops for boys. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell us a touch about that before sure, we move on to the... Sure, So we went into a village and we pulled the girls aside to do the first of a, you know, a multi-day workshop. Mm -hmm. And what we found were all the boys hanging in the windows and they wanted to be involved oh. and they wanted to be in conversation about why girls are valuable, why girls, you know, why we're spending time on them. Why are we spending time on them? Mm. And we really got into conversation around some of the harmful societal norms that are happening in that region and really about the life of boys, which I think we're all recognizing um, when we talk about girls' equality, we are also talking about the attention to boys as well. Yeah. And one thing that has been really amazing um, with this experience with Girls on Fire has been it's not only about these girls. And so now some of the girls are 14, 15. And one story is that it, when I was just there in April is that they got together, three Girls on Fire got together and led a boys workshop of 10, 11, 12, 13 year old boys in the slums. So that age range of boys in the slums are it's a very, very vulnerable. It's population. very vulnerable, uh, and it's it's very dangerous for the boys, um, and they are led into activities um, that are harmful for yeah. girls. And so, the girls were very scared to lead that, but they kept on going back to one of the principles of Girls on Fire, which is empathy. How do we lead with empathy? How do we lead with love? And so they sat there and listened to the wow. inner life of boys wow. and listened to how pressured they are to do drugs, how pressured they are to drink, how pressured they are to steal, how pressured, what it's life like uh, in their inner worlds and really connected with their hearts. And so I'm really, really proud of that. So we're starting to see the seed of that and Makesh is another example of that. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. include uh, some notes about Makesh in the yeah. post that I do for right. this. Makesh is one of the girls who started several years ago, and she uses Practice You in her teaching. She's what, 14, mm -hmm. 15? 14. And um, oh God, every time I watch this video, she's basically made a video prompted by Aline to thank me for my book and to tell me all the results that she's having in her classes with it. It's outrageous <laughs> all the way in Kenya. It's amazing. I, 150 I, girls now. 
from 48 to 150 to one yeah so it was her class which was 48 girls yeah but the old and the older girls were requesting oh to wow. be part of the class which when I spoke to her in April she was very nervous about of course and so she was she was really girls. yeah so yeah. these older girls now are requesting to be in her class and she's really stepping in with her leadership love and and uh you know really I think she's an example of the leadership we need now in the world is to really step into your truth and get through all of the uncomfortableness around that and yeah. work through it in community. Yeah. And I loved what you said um, about Twyla Tharp's book uh, and collaboration. And so I see that over and over again in the communities we go to. Um, and there are, for example, Maasai communities, there are lots of barriers for women so even when we go into Maasai communities, the women turn their backs to us. And uh, so that was pretty rough for the first couple times, but I found a trick. <laughs> What's the trick? Well, the trick is to show up on a Saturday because uh, Saturdays are when the men go to town to drink all day and the boys are out with the cattle. So... The last experience I had was pretty profound. All the women came to the front of the boma. It's they have the huts, and then around them um, is like stick fences, and that's called a boma. They came running to the gates, and the little Maasai grandma woman, the elder, the matriarch, uh, wanted to bless all of us before she welcomed us in, and we were in conversation around things they had never even thought about, even amongst themselves. Mm. And so they were explaining their culture and they were saying in their culture, they do beautiful beatings and, and do baskets and their culture is all about community um, and beauty. And Beatrice, who's, who was eight years old, raises her hand and says, you had just explained to us how your culture is beauty. How is cutting a girl beautiful? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was. So Beatrice was from the Girls on Fire. fire. Yeah. And she, you went on a Saturday because the men wouldn't be there so the women could greet you and they yeah. wouldn't have to turn their back to but you. We, yeah, but we didn't know that. I understand. So. <laughs> it was just a, a luck. It, it was a luck. And then what happened, these girls on fire that we were with had the courage to ask these questions yes. that really only an eight-year-old can ask because she was really trying to figure it out. Yep. But it opened up the hearts and the minds of these women. And we all sat in circle and we we shared our pain, every single one of us, and we collaborated and those girl, those ladies today, they are putting aside any extra money to get their girls educated for their girls' fees. Wow. And this was a village that we went into and zero of the girls were being educated, which I never have seen before. So Girls on Fire and their scholarships, we gave three scholarships to, to some of the girls. And now the community members, the women are in that community making sure that any little bits of money they have goes towards their girls' education fee. Wow. Yeah. You started with 23 small girls in 2014. You've built a network of girl leaders that have already had the following outcomes. 
higher performance in school, improved grades, improved leadership skills, confidence, self-expression, teamwork, advancing skills for community organizing. You, as you said, they've already served as keynote speakers at the UN in Kenya. You've got ambassadors and speakers for major HIV and AIDS health conferences. You've had guests of honor at the Obama Foundation Fellowship mm -hmm. Awards, mm -hmm. Were Girls on Fire, mm -hmm. summer camps in the US. Six girls are now attending high school in the US. Your network of graduates will actively contribute to local female leadership. They will be talent pipelines for global corporations. They will affect change locally and globally. They will finish higher education to become a positive participant in global society. They will contribute to jobs or opportunities for vulnerable girls as they have been. And they will increase diversity and inclusion throughout different sectors. This is one of the most exciting causes I've ever sort of been a part of or chosen to champion. So I'm really honored. I have a list of all the accomplishments that you have completed since 2014, among them building a library, a hygiene and wellness program for street kids at risk, community beautification, uh, saving sea turtles and, and elephants, <laughs> building a dorm for girls to be safe from FGM and early marriage, creating peer advocacy groups, leading equality workshops with adolescent boys, as you mentioned, started a reading and hugging program for orphaned kids every Saturday, planting trees in the slums, leading uh, equality workshops with teenage boys in Kibera, launching sanitary pad project for 123 girls in the schools. Obviously, you know about days for girls. Yes. Great. And lastly, launching trauma-informed yoga, working with sexual abuse, sexually abused and refugee girls. By 2030, your plan is to nurture and empower 100,000 girls on fire leaders and build a movement of global girl leaders with a thriving network of change makers. What my vision is, before I ask you the three questions that I ask every guest and let you go, my vision is that we get girls on fire leaders matched up with adolescent girls from the States and we get them together and we start to do somewhat of an exchange program mm -hmm. where really the girls get to learn from each other. Love it. It's such a big deal what you're doing. Mm. Thank you. Can I just add all of those projects are girl led. So it's not me coming in and saying, Oh, this is what you need. Um, we teach them workshops around frameworks, how to think about solving big problems. So we use a lot of design thinking, for instance, and through that, so the hugging project, for instance, that came out of doing a design thinking workshop and it was the girls mapping everything they love about living in Cabrera and everything they wish would change. Wow. And Kadogo is her name, which means little. And she was probably seven. She was one of our littlest at the time. Uh, wanted to start, her vision was to start hugging the street kids because she had never known a mother's love until Girls on Fire and Shafko. And she was left in the trash as a baby um, and to be raised by the community. So she wanted to make sure that all the street kids knew a mother's love. And so that's what we did. So we get these girls wow. connected 
to the suffering that they experience and that they see around them and into action and to be part of the solution in all of those cases. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. That's, that might be the most important thing Mm -hmm. we've said Mm -hmm. the whole time. (laughs) It's, it's something I'm very proud of. Yeah. It's interesting to teach them, you know, sort of how to design systems and systems thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. The uh, three questions that I ask every guest, the first one is what in your life or in your community needs healing right now? Well, I'm personally healing some trauma that I, um, that I experienced starting in May around using my voice Mm. and really stepping in to my truth to be the leader that this vision needs. Um, so there's some some trauma that is being released. Childhood, somebody told you you yeah, shouldn't talk? Exactly. Huh. It's eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> Where I had a vision. You were um, you were eight at the time. I was eight. Yes. I had a vision of I was connected with the plight of um, Romanian orphans that I saw in sixty minutes. And I became, I got that fire, that spark that was like, wait, I can do something about this. And um, I became quite obsessive <laughs> and, uh, and really advocated for any adult to just listen and to see what's happening. And the adults around me essentially said, you're too small, you don't matter, mind your own business, just focus on yourself. And in my eight-year-old mind, being a very shy girl, the stakes were very high for me to even speak out. So that really changed my worldview, and it's taken me 30-plus years to really ignite that fire again. So I'm on a mission, and uh, I'm not stopping. I... I have to acknowledge the fact that every single one of our childhood traumas, if you're listening to this, your childhood trauma is here to lead you to the work of your life. Period. And if you want an assignment right now, you go ahead and get a piece of paper and a pen and you write down what is the trauma of your childhood, whether it's one thing or five things. And then when you're done writing, Write a little line across to the other side of the page and write what it is that you're going to do with that information because it was given to you for a reason. I remember seeing a commercial for Save the Children and convincing my mother to do a monthly donation. And I cried, oh, so many tears when those notes would come from the kids that we were saving, hopefully. Right. Second question, what's your favorite view? And it can be anything. You can go like really weird with it. I think the first thing that comes to mind um, is the Great Rift Valley in Kenya. Hmm. Um, There's something about the very first time I sat on the ground and just overlooked as far as the eye can see the depths of the valley um, I felt grounded and expansive. Yeah. Ready. 
Yeah. And like, I I was held. I was cocooned. Mm. Mm. I like how a place like that makes you feel like you're suddenly a little baby in the arms Mm -hmm. of the Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The third question is, what does prayer mean to you? I think prayer means paying attention. It means looking closer at whatever it is, a flower, a person, and not turning away when you feel uncomfortable Mm. to just continuously to pay attention and to go back and to go back. That's beautifully articulated. Thank you. Thank you. It reminds me of Mary Oliver. Yeah. If you would like to be a part of this community, there are a few different ways. I donate monthly, um, but you can actually double your donation until September 15th of 2019 because doTERRA will match it. So anything you donate right now will get matched, literally doubled. You can be a sponsor for one of the wellness and leadership camps. The next one is coming up in December 2019. You can be on the Girls on Fire Leadership Council along with me. Come on. You want to <laughs> hang out with me? Let's do this. We are actively recruiting folks from all different sectors, from all different forms of leadership. You can fundraise for us. You can make your own fundraiser if you like. You know how to do that. We go to uh, GoFundMe. You can make your own. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can even just solicit your family and friends to contribute. Yeah, there's a link at girlsonfire.com. Oh, there is? Yeah. Oh, to create your own fundraiser mm-hmm. for Girls on Fire. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it's actually very easy to do a fundraiser on Facebook. And if you're clear and you know you know how to link it, you can raise money directly through Facebook for Girls on Fire. So that's a really interesting one, too. Feel free to email me, info at elenabrower.com. I'm not kidding. I don't have any assistance. I will answer your email <laughs> myself. <laughs> And you can ask me anything about this, or you can volunteer. And that too, you can email me, or you can email Eileen at girlsonfireleaders.com. So you got that? Eileen at girlsonfireleaders.com. We, I can speak for myself and say, I love you. I am so proud of the work that you're doing. I feel you healing your voice, and I'm super proud of it. I know this is a big step for you to sit here with me, so I'm grateful and just beyond beaming. Eileen's getting tears (laughs) in her eyes right now. People, so beautiful. And uh, there's going to be more from us. Watch. We're going to make Girls on Fire Leaders a very known charity. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Lots of love to you. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. 
My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com dot com forward slash e-l-e-n-a take ownership of your health my listener and thank you athletic greens and ag1